0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Australia's longest ever ongoing deployment of a single unit occurred between 1962 and 1972. For 10 years, the Australian Army Training Team Vietnam AATTV, operated in an advisory role to the South Vietnamese forces as they tried to resist the incursions of the Communist North. Individually and in small groups, members of the team helped train South Vietnamese leaders in combat tactics and strategies throughout South Vietnam from the demilitarised zone in the north to the far south and with the mountain villages known as the yards. The fact that the team is also the most highly decorated Australian unit of the war, including four Victoria Crosses, is evidence that they didn't only advise from the safety of the training ground. These hardened, experienced warriors were never going to be content with waving their charges goodbye as they went out to face the enemy. Welcome to the Australian Military History Podcast, a podcast dedicated to Australian servicemen and women covering events, units and personalities from the Boer War through to the modern day. G'day everyone, and welcome back. An apology first up, you may or may not have noticed a bit of a decrease in activity on the Instagram and Facebook pages over the last couple of months. There are two very valid reasons behind this. First, our principal social media manager, and by that I mean my youngest girl child, has been heavily involved in uni exams and starting a new job. As if that's somehow more important than posting interesting media content for you fine folks. Yeah, I know, you just can't get good help for free anymore, can you? And the other reason is me and my lovely lady wife are blowing this joint. We've spent the last three months looking for a block of land away from the big smoke. Now looking at anything within a two to 300 hundred kilometre radius of Brisbane has meant a lot of time in the car zipping about the place, with the subsequent result being that I've been too knackered to do much by the way of research. However, we have found a place, and settlement is imminent, and we will move out at some stage in the near future. Media content might still be a bit light on for a month or so, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. We will continue to respond to comments, so please keep sending them in. And now, on with the show! The first members of the team, consisting of 15 officers and 15 senior NCOs, that's non-commissioned officers for the uninitiated, arrived in Saigon on 3rd of August 1962. They were the first commitment of Australian troops to the Vietnam War. Under the overall command of Colonel Ted Serong. these initial members were attached to a larger US advisory group and assigned to various units of the South Vietnamese Army, the Montagnards, Regional Forces and Mobile Strike Forces. The members of the team were hand-picked career soldiers, mostly from infantry and SAS units, but also included signals, engineers and other specialists. Most had extensive experience in jungle warfare through deployments to the Malaya Campaign. The standard tour of duty for a team member was 12 to 18 months in country, although many signed on for multiple tours for various reasons. Warrant Officer Ray Simpson, for example, completed a number of tours, not necessarily because he felt strongly about the cause or for any love of combat, although they might have been part of the reason, but more because he wanted to spend more time with his Japanese wife. She was unable to leave Japan as her mother was seriously ill. So whenever Simpson signed on for another tour, he'd receive 30 days leave, which he used for ducking over to Japan to visit his wife. More on Ray later. Initially, the training was conducted in barracks, similar to the way Australian troops would be trained in Australia. Some field exercises in safe areas were conducted to reinforce patrolling skills and to make their reaction instinctive and decisive. Initially, the team was forbidden to accompany South Vietnamese troops on operations, but to really assess the standards of the South Vietnamese, the advisors felt they needed to be with them when the shooting started. They were eventually granted permission to deploy as observers only, and then, later still, were authorised to actively participate. In September 1964, the initial 30-man team was expanded to 73, then 112 in June 1965, and to its highest number in November 1970 at 217 members. Even after the First Australian Task Force was established at Nui Dat in 1966, the team continued in their role, acting independently of the task force, although coordinating operations when required. The team's first casualty was Sergeant William Hacking, who also holds the dubious distinction of being the first Australian to be killed in Vietnam. There is some controversy over how Sergeant Hacking died. Officially, he was killed accidentally while cleaning a firearm, a claim disputed by the men who knew him. As a career soldier, he was fastidious about safety with firearms, according to a couple of sources. In a 2006 article, the Tweed Daily News interviewed his niece, Joy Burrell, and she states that the story changed a number of times. First, it was the accident. Then it was a sniper. Then it was one of his own men who shot him. And then it was suggested maybe suicide. In truth, we still don't know. The first advisor to be killed in action was Warrant Officer Class II Kevin Conway. He was advising the civilian irregular defence group in a camp at Nam Dong to the west of Da Nang, near the border with Laos. The location of the camp caused the northern forces some difficulty as it interfered with the movement of troops to the south. So on 5th of July 1964, Viet Cong and North Vietnamese army troops attacked the camp. They struck at 2.30am and forced their way into the outer perimeter. The CIDG troops managed to stem the advance, but the attackers held on to the ground they had gained. At around 4am, the senior American officer at the camp, Captain Roger Donlon, radiated for reinforcements. However, when the helicopters carrying those troops arrived, the gunfire was too intense to be able to land. Some ammunition was able to be dropped from supply planes, while targeted airstrikes held the Vietnamese in place. By mid-morning, the battle was more or less over. Along with 50 CIDG and two US soldiers, Wo 2 Conway was killed in the attack. There was a suggestion that he was nominated for the Victoria Cross for his actions, but I've been unable to find anything to support that claim. That, of course, doesn't mean there isn't some supporting documentation out there, I just haven't been able to find it with my limited resources. With the escalation of the war, team members began to be more involved in combat operations, often leading South Vietnamese and regional forces in patrols and attacks. In the central highlands, the Montagnards were agitating for independence from any Vietnamese regime, north or south. Captain Barry Peterson was sent into the hills to disarm the locals, but he felt that if they could be persuaded to work with the South Vietnamese forces, they would be a valuable asset, restricting the North's access to the Ho Chi Minh Trail. He managed to win them over, costing the CIA a significant amount of money to do so, and created Tiger Force. Operating in small units, they were exceedingly effective in striking against the Communists, using many of the same tactics the men from the North used, fighting fire with fire. But then things began to unravel. With almost 1,200 troops under his control, the CIA were wary of Tiger Force and started to wonder if their leader had gone native. Peterson may, or may not, have been the inspiration for Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. But as long as Peterson and his force remained on their leash, the CIA were quite happy to let them operate. They were so happy with Peterson that they wanted him to join them in setting up a counter-terrorism team which would conduct strategic assassinations of anyone believed to be aiding the Communists. This hit squad would eventually become known as Project Phoenix and is believed to have killed more than 26,000 people. Peterson, however, refused to join. He was later advised by a friend on the inside of Phoenix that his name had been added to the list of those to be disposed of. He managed to avoid a CIA bullet and continued in command of Tiger Force until the Montagnards set up a government in exile in Cambodia and stated they were under the command of Peterson and acting on his orders. Peterson quickly tried to set the record straight with the South Vietnamese officials and the CIA, and he was removed from command. Like Peterson, the majority of the team operated in the Central Highlands region, and the fighting here was usually more intense due to its proximity to the Ho Chi Minh Trail, the North's main supply route to the South. The fact that it's named the Ho Chi Minh Trail tends to suggest that it's a single track or road down which the flow of men and material passed. But actually, the trail was a complicated network of tracks intersecting and then diverging and following many different routes. This is the reason why the US with their massive firepower was never able to successfully cut the supply line. If one section was destroyed, the North Vietnamese would merely take another direction. But the trail had to remain open if the North was to maintain supply and reinforcement, so they defended more fiercely here than any other area. It's worth noting they defended fiercely in other areas as well, so you can imagine what it must have been like on the trail. With such hard fighting, it's little wonder that the wards and decorations started accumulating. These included two distinguished service orders, three officers of the Order of the British Empire, six members of the Order of the British Empire, six military crosses, 20 Distinguished Conduct Medals, 15 Military Medals, four British Empire Medals, four Queen's Commendations for Brave Conduct and 49 mentions in dispatches. In addition, 245 US and 369 South Vietnamese awards were bestowed on unit members. And, as mentioned at the start, four Victoria Crosses were earned by members of the team. The first was awarded to Warrant Officer Class 2, Kevin Wheatley. In November 1965, Wheatley joined a Vietnamese Civil Irregular Defence Group patrol. He commanded the right flank platoon with his friend, Warrant Officer Swanton. The patrol made contact with a strong Viet Cong force and engaged them. The VC increased their numbers and the entire patrol was soon in trouble. Shortly after Wheatley called for air support, Swanton was hit in the chest. Wheatley called in the air support and a medical evacuation, but their centre platoon broke and ran. The irregular defence group medic told Wheatley that Swanton was dying and to leave him. Wheatley refused and, abandoning his equipment, proceeded to carry and drag Swanton across the exposed rice paddy to the relative safety of the wooded area. Again he was urged to leave Swanton and refused. With Viet Cong only 10 metres away, Wheatley sat with a grenade in each hand as the remaining irregulars ran. They shortly heard two explosions and some small arms fire. The next morning, the Irregulars returned to the area and found Wheatley and Swanton side by side, killed by gunshot wounds. In February 1967, Major Peter Badcoe was an advisor to a regional force company. During a contact with Communist forces, a report was received via the radio that a United States advisor had been killed and a US medical advisor was wounded and that he was in immediate danger of being overrun by the enemy. Badco ran across 600 metres of open ground to reach the medical advisor. He attended to his wounds and moved him to a safer location. He then called the remainder of the platoon forward and neutralised the enemy post. With enemy fire still sweeping the area, he picked up the body of the US advisor and ran back to the command post. Later, in early March, during an operation the command group vehicle broke down and a US officer was killed by enemy fire. Badco joined the headquarters company and led them forward against heavy fire and rescued a bad situation. Then finally in April while advancing with a south vietnamese company they came under heavy fire. The majority of the company withdrew to find cover in the cemetery leaving Badko and his radio operator alone about fifty meters ahead of the rest of the force. Badko ran back and encouraged the men to move forward. While leading the company forward again they came under sustained machine-gun fire. Badko prepared to stand up to throw a grenade but his radio operator pulled him down. Waiting for a lull in the firing, Badko rose again to throw a grenade and he was killed by a burst of machine-gun fire. For his conspicuous leadership and courage under fire, he was awarded the Victoria Cross. Ray Simpson, see, I told you we'd come back to him, was commanding the 232nd Mobile Strike Force Company on operations near the Laotian border. company came under fire on sixth of May 1969 and one of the platoons was held up by heavy fire. He led the remainder of his company to their assistance, taking the foremost position and leading from the front. Another Australian was wounded and the assault began to slow. Simpson ran over and carried the wounded man to safety then crawled to within ten meters of the enemy, where he continued to hurl grenades. Soon darkness began to fall, and Simpson realized they would be unable to take the position in the dark. He ordered the company to withdraw, and then carry the wounded platoon leader back to safety. On 11th of May, a further attempt was made to take the position. During the attack, another Australian warrant officer was wounded, along with several Vietnamese soldiers. Simpson attempted to regain control of the situation, but it proved untenable, and he ordered the withdrawal of the wounded. While that was taking place, he positioned himself as far forward as possible to draw fire away from the evacuation of the wounded. Only when all the surviving members of the company were clear did Simpson fall back himself. The fourth and final Victoria Cross awarded to an Australian in Vietnam was Warrant Officer Class 2 Keith Payne. He was in command of the 212th Company of the 1st Mobile Strike Force. Near Ben Het Camp, a joint US and South Vietnamese base in the Central Highlands, Payne's company was attacked by a strong People's Army of Vietnam force. PAVN was the more formal name of the North Vietnamese Army, or NVA. During the attack, Payne's company was isolated and surrounded on three sides and the troops began to fall back. Payne had received wounds to his hands and arms, but provided covering fire for the withdrawal. He then fell back to his remaining troops and organised them into a defensive perimeter. Confident that the company was secure, Payne then returned to the scene of the battle and spent the next three hours searching the area for wounded troops while avoiding the enemy who kept up a regular fire over the area. He located 40 wounded men and organised a rescue of some of them while single-handedly bringing in the others. Keith Payne is the only surviving Victoria Cross recipient of the Vietnam War after Ray Simpson died of cancer in 1978. It's worth noting that of the four VCs earned by the team, three of them were specifically for actions taken in protecting or attempting the evacuation of wounded comrades. It demonstrates the level of commitment the members felt towards their Vietnamese troops. No doubt many of the other team members felt the same as the VC recipients, but were never put in the same position. By 1970 it was obvious the war was not going the way the US, South Vietnamese and Australian governments had hoped it would, and it was time for the Western nations to set about extracting themselves. This was given the questionable title of Vietnamisation of the war. Joined by a group of New Zealanders, being one officer and four NCOs, The team would play a role in equipping the South Vietnamese Army with the knowledge and skills to continue the fight against the North. They set up a jungle training centre in Phuc Thuy Province and some served with the mobile advanced training teams throughout the province. By November 1970, the unit had reached its peak strength of 227 members. In 1971, the Australian Task Force was withdrawn from Vietnam, leaving the team as the only Australian troops in the country, just like they were back in 1965. Also, just like they were in 1965, The members of the team were restricted to training and advisory roles only. With the election of the Whitlam Labor Government in 1972, Australia's commitment to Vietnam was closed, and the last of the team withdrew on the 18th of December. The team had been in-country continuously for 10 years, 4 months and 16 days, making it the longest tour of any individual unit in Vietnam. They had the honour of being the first in and the last out. However, the only time they were together as a unit was for the annual Anzac Day commemorations or when the unit was presented with the United States Army Presidential Unit Citation and the Valorous Unit Award. Otherwise, they were deployed and scattered right across the area of operation, with only a handful of their fellow Australians. All up, 1,009 men served with the team, 998 Aussies and 11 Kiwis. Many of them served numerous tours over the 10 years of operations. 33 of their number were killed and a further 122 wounded. There is a memorial at Kokoda Barracks at Kanunga commemorating these men. Also, in North Carolina, a memorial dedicated to US Special Forces includes the AATTV unit badge and an Australian flag in recognition of their contribution, the first international unit to be recognised on a US war memorial. As a nod to the team which started Australia's advisory commitment, the training contingent deployed to Iraq in 2004 was named the Australian Army Training Team Iraq. The Australian Army Training Team Vietnam, the team, was arguably one of the most unique and professional units in the history of the Australian Army, which, considering some of the units which we've had come before and after, that is no minor achievement. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If so, feel free to leave a comment on the website at AustralianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.com or on Instagram under AMH Podcast or on Facebook. Also, apparently leaving a review on iTunes helps more people to find the podcast, so it would be very much appreciated if you can head over to iTunes and leave a review and a comment so that more people can learn about the amazing history of Australia at Arms. And remember, if there's any aspect of our military history which you would like to hear about, drop me a line at amhp.media at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Australian Military History Podcast.